0: This is Tennessee Talks with United States Congressman Tim Burchett. Hey everybody, it's Congressman Tim Burchett back for another episode of Tennessee Talks. Today we are joined by my very good friend, Halloran Hilton Hill, call him Al, or H as sometimes I call him. He graduated from Oakwood University in Huntsville, Alabama. He didn't have to learn an accent when you got here. <laughs> Where he studied communications. He's a radio talk show host, motivational speaker, singer, songwriter, and producer. You won a, what award did you win? A, uh, what was the big well, one? I was nominated. Dominated. I was nominated for a Grammy. For a Grammy. Well, how many, how many times was I nominated for a Grammy? <laughs> Zero. Um, you know, he's got a top rated, he's had been a top rated host for more than 25 years and voted best talk show host by his loyal listeners. He's named one of America's top talk show hosts by Talkers Magazine. He was inducted in the Tennessee Radio Broadcasting Hall of Fame. Um, he has worked with renowned artists such as Aretha Franklin and Whitney Houston. Which is I have. pretty cool. <laughs> that is pretty cool, man. I, again, can't say that about anybody else. He's also the CEO and founder of Wisdom House, a multimedia company focused on inspiring people around the world to grow in wisdom, and I want to thank you, Hal, for joining me. Um, it's great to have you on the show. Um, I guess I should start off by saying that um i would probably not be sitting here as a congressman er in my role but if it wasn't for you i was i was in the mulch business you can google it they make something out of it every campaign year but it doesn't go anywhere because the people around here knew the story and nobody would let me tell my story and in the early days of then talk radio which was kind of a new thing around here. There was Rush Limbaugh and there yeah. was Aller and Hill. And yeah. That was it. We were here at the beginning. Yeah. And it was down on Kingston Pike and, and I was, uh, talking to a reporter and you said, Hey, would you, you want to tell your story? And I was like, absolutely. And, uh, you let me tell my story and that literally wasn't edited. It wasn't, you know, editorialized and that just turned the tide and, um, I ended up losing the business still, but which was, probably uh wouldn't have been able to stop that at any point, but the um but the overwhelming support of this public and allowing me just to tell my story, um I, I don't know where I'd be right now. I'd probably be sitting on a bar stool down at Toddy's backdoor tavern, <laughs> probably. And I don't drink, so that'd have been a tall order for me. But um I had great parents and from there on, I mean, mom and daddy thought of you as practically one of their own. I mean they would, you know, my buddy Hal or whatever, but uh, Tell me about your, your start Hal, uh, you, know, you know when you, how you got here that is a great story I mean it's a great American story
1: well I, you know well first I can't take any credit for how you've been able to serve and 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 how you found your way to public service like this because I know what you're cut from I know where you come from you were going to be the mulch king, you're gonna be king as some. <laughs> uh, because because your parents you brought you brought them up first, and I have such love and respect for your mother and your father, and they showed me so much love. I came to Knoxville uh, as of the time of of this taping, um, thirty three. Years ago, and I came here with nothing. I lived in the. I United remember, 33 States. years old was as old, man. senior <laughs> yeah. citizens or something. So, so to be here 33 years later, and you know, still kind of chugging along. But I, but I didn't have anything. i had been in the United States Virgin Islands. I was general manager of a radio station there. I was in my dream job, actually. I was living on the living on the ocean. Hurricane Hugo comes through. Um, our radio station was deeply affected, and I was actually, at at the time, in invest- how old were you? I was 25, wow. 24, 25 years old. And, um, and I was also invested with some people to try to buy my first radio station or get my first license, and those people turned out to be... Um, full of shenanigans. I understand.
0: (laughs) Maybe it's best that that deal didn't go
1: through. But but as a result of the hurricane and that, um, I showed up here 33 years ago unemployed. I was living in one room at my sister's house in Mechanicsville. (laughs) Um, I had a bunch of resumes, business cards. I bought a blue suit. Is that house still here? It is. It's right there on the corner, right across the street from Knoxville College. I know. I know um,
0: Knoxville College. You no, know, my on mama Brando
1: Brando died there. Randolph Street. Yeah, Randolph. Uh, Absolutely. Wow. Randolph, and um, so, um, but I would ride the bus every day looking for work. And one day I walked into WIVK. Um, Gene Ash was upstairs, and she was, she was about to go on a trip, and they were telling her she might have to work through the holidays. She was pitching a fit, and I looked at James Dick, and I said, why don't you use me as caulk? Let me plug the hole. I've done everything from take out the garbage to manage radio stations. So, And he said something to me, that the two things. He said, you take her to lunch, and if you can get her to agree that you should replace her, we may consider it. Um, And he said, too, you haven't said anything about money. And I said, I don't get to say anything about money until I show you I can create value. This is your business. And he was like, hmm. So I called the humanities department at UT and asked how to say hello in Mandarin and at... Uh, Daryl's restaurant on Bearden Hill. I walk Darryl's. in, got there an hour early because I had to ride the bus, Jean Ash walks in and I go, Ni Hao. And she goes, you know Chinese? I said, nope, I'm sucking up. <laughs> <laughs> I need a job. Awesome. <laughs> and they took a chance on me, $6.80 an hour on a 90 day temporary basis. And 33 years later, I'm, I've been there longer than anybody in the building now. And wow. uh, we just keep going. And, of course, Bobby Denton, bigger-than-life
0: yeah. kind of guy. Um, I always remembered um, <laughs> it's dangerous when you start reminiscing. You know, with Bobby, I was, I, was, I was going in to cut a commercial, and I didn't know anything about it. And um, I just come off the mulch pile, and I was running for the legislature, and I smelt a cigar. And I looked over Bobby. and Bobby Denton, and he always, would leave. He, said, yeah, hey. he goes, Hey, he goes, Hey, compost. What are you doing? <laughs> and He goes, uh, he said, oh, I'm, I'm, Hey, Mr. Denton. I said, it's Bobby. And I said, yes, sir. I mean, he was gruff, but he was, he came from nothing. Yeah. Absolutely. You know? and, and yeah. And he understood. He and, understood and he that. was, and he was, I mean, he was, he's really missed, but he, he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm doing a. I'm doing a radio, I'm trying to get a radio, I don't know, you know, I'm just kind of out of my league and I you know, and I said, Look, I I, I just don't want to get taken advantage of. He said, Let me see that. And he goes he goes, hang on for a second. He put his cigar down on the on the ledge right there, you know where it's at. And I know exactly where you're and, talking and about. And I walked out and he we walked in, and he he said, I'll be up and there was I think it said studio two. And he goes, Hang on for a second. And he says, Come on. And he goes, Let me do, let me see what's your script? And he showed him and he said let me let me make a few changes here. Let me do this. And I said, yes, sir. And he cut that radio ad for me. And it was, I mean, it was golden. One take. One take. You know, and I mean, it's just, you know, I was, uh, but yeah, but that's, that's, that was, uh, you know, Knoxville is the smallest big town you'll ever be a part of. Right. And and you were part of something that Mr. Dick, that family meant so much to this
1: community. They meant so much to me. I You know, I was telling somebody the other day that they're, America should be, is a place of hope, I and mean, hope the verb is desire accompanied by confident expectation. Hope, the noun, is the person or place of last resort, and I remember I was studying the miracles of Christ in the Bible, I think they're 33 or 36 miracles. At any rate, you would always run into somebody who had hope, and they ran into the someone who was hope, Mm. and whenever that intersection happened, miracles happened, and when I came to Knoxville, I really did believe in the American dream. I thought if you get after it, things could happen for you, but then I ran into a lot of people who were willing to be agents of hope for me. They gave me a shot. They believed in me, and they conspired on my behalf in ways I didn't know. I didn't realize what they were doing behind the scenes, but a couple of people were like, man, we like this kid. And my, my career in East Tennessee is an anomaly. There's been nothing like it. Mm-mm. And... Number one, that's by the grace of God, first and foremost. But then some people actually, they really helped me. T- tell me a little bit about your mom and daddy. We hmm. talk about my mom and
0: daddy, and I know what—I I know what I know what you're cut from as well. But if you talk a little bit about them and how they grew up and what they, how many brothers and
1: sisters do you have? There were five of us. Right. My oldest brother passed Passed, my, right. And uh, each, each of them had, a, had education, yeah, three, correct. my three, my, my three brothers, yeah, my three brothers were all ministers. Um, one finished a doctorate degree. All of them got master's degrees. My sister was in healthcare. I'm the least educated of my family members. Well, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> and um, everybody wonders where I, why I went astray. So, Daddy was born in Chattanooga, Tennessee, 1923. Right. My mother was born in Houston County, Georgia, Perry, Georgia, Perry in 1925. Georgia. That's where my daughter goes for barrel racing, Perry, Georgia. They, uh, they both have passed on. My father um, was a Seventh-day Adventist minister for 52 years. My mother was a school schoolteacher. Um, so I was raised in the structure of the Seventh-day Adventist denomination. I attended many of their schools. It was very rigorous. Oh, absolutely. And my parents were I I never knew I, I've never lived with the political ideology. In fact, I didn't somebody told me what I was after I talked about things on the radio. I I don't come to what I do with a political ideology. But, you know, my father was like, nobody's gonna give you anything. Nobody owes you anything. If you, you gotta work for it. Uh, I'm raised up on the Ten Commandments. I'm raised up on hard work. Uh, The three kinds of respect, respect for yourself, respect for God, and respect for others. Three kinds of responsibility. Responsibility for yourself, your others, and your community. So when you're raised with that kind of a mindset, it's not only what you're taught, but what it's caught. I just always believed you had to you had to go get it, and so my view of America, my view of American life, my view of life in general, was really guided by that framework, if that makes sense. Yeah, and so. And I, people responded to that, I guess. But I, I didn't know I was being anything political at all. It just was common sense. It was just like nobody's gonna do anything for you, yeah. you know. But they, but they're kind of like your parents, like. Um, they believed in not having a lot of debt. They yeah. believed in paying cash if you could. They believed, uh-huh. you
0: know, all of I'll that. I'll tell you stuff. one thing that always is my dad. It was a, one of these life lessons I learned. We were at Myrtle Beach, and it's before it was all developed. We stayed at Apache Campground. We get a spot number one, right on the edge, right there at the beach. We got there in time. We got that spot, and we'd go either one week if they saved up money, up money two weeks, and. It turned out during the second world war this was an old strafing range so you could get out the metal detector and find bullets back in the back um, uh, 50 caliber uh, 30 caliber machine gun slugs and they're just everywhere everywhere so daddy i was fishing it was on the inlet and daddy metal detect and we just hang out me and him and my brother down there and um, my my mama and sister off doing something else and i remembered i fell off there, I was looking at it and I fell off the side of this thing. It was coral. And I was, I was hanging on and I, was, I thought, man, this is it. You know, I was going to fall in there and bust my head. And dad's way off somewhere. About that time, daddy reaches over, pulls me out of that deal, dusts me off. You know, make sure I'm, I'm believing a little bit. You know, we're kids. We grew up. We're kids. So walk we, it off. Yeah, walk it off. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and uh, just don't tell your mama. You know the program. And um, and you know, and I thought that was, that was pretty much my parents right there. They would never let me get killed, but they let me get dusted up or bu- busted mm-hmm. up a little. Mm-hmm. But they would never. You know, they'd step in at the and, and if they had to, but they they let me fall and get myself back up. And you know, your parents, I could I could see you
1: all. You know. Falling in a mud pile or something, they would just clean themselves up. I'll give you a great example. Me going to college is a great example of that. So I was not the planned child. I was wanted. I'm the baby. There's nine years between me and my siblings. And they had stopped having children, but they had not stopped the process of having children. Yeah, I dig that. I'm (laughs) I'm well aware of that. So I show up. My dad's 40. Um, when I'm born, and uh, he he made sure that my, my brothers had a way to get to college, whether he had to borrow or work or whatever. By the time they get to me, they have no money. And I remember that day, I remember the day that I had to leave college because I didn't have any money. Mm. And my father looked at me, as my freshman year of college, and he said, I don't have it, I can't borrow it, but I expect you to figure it out. Right? So, you okay, did. college took me eight years. Tightwad like you will appreciate this. I paid for college in cash, working three jobs, right? You, me, and Dave <laughs> Ramsey. <laughs> <laughs> but um, before my dad passed away, I said, Dad, why did you, why'd you, why'd you tell me to just figure it out? He said, because I, I wanted you to know what I knew. Mm. I said, what's that? That you could. And you wouldn't know unless you had to. So I let you have to. I was like, that, yeah, And that's what you're like talking that. about. They let oh, you. Yeah. But going through that, I developed this mindset. And I think that may have been what I connected to in you at the mulch pile. I saw the hustle. I saw somebody who was getting, I saw somebody who was like, mulch, let me you know, you were figuring out a way to be an American entrepreneur. See, now everybody does it. It's, right, it's just you know everybody. It was You don't see it in the It It became a thing. Yeah. It was a whole thing, and you were kind of innovating. I remember you were buying those big whatever those things Tubber are, rounders. yeah, all this stuff, and and you were building. You were building a business. But I saw the hustle. I saw you figuring it out, and I've always had this amazing respect. See, America should be a platform for opportunity. It, it is not a platform of guaranteed success, but it is a, it is a platform for, for opportunity. We should set the stage for people to flourish, but they got to have skin in the game. I mean, and, and I think I that's what I connected you. to in you. I knew what it was like to try to make something happen. You're like a hand up, not a handout. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm all
0: about that. I, I see that all the time. We we pretty much ruin kids when we do that. You know, that's what I tell my wife, I, my little girl has a job. Does she have to have one? No. But, you know, she told me the other day, she said, Dad, it, it's lunch hour. I can't talk. We're covered up. <laughs> <laughs> I so, love this. I do too, man. And I mean, she's a worker. And I dig that because I, I want her to be that because it's... Um, because she needs to succeed. Well, I, I guess uh, one last thing, and then we'll let you go, H. Um, I always remember this story, I, it, it was uh, uh, we both lost our parents, and, and we, my mama was, my daddy was forty-one when I was born, and mama was forty, so if that tells you anything. But we, um, uh, I remembered when uh, daddy had, had his stroke, and was, and he wasn't long. For the world, but we got some really bad news, and I walked out of the house. and I remember you drove by with a buddy of yours. and I can't remember who it was; doesn't really matter. And you said, "Hey," I looked up and I said, "Dad, come here, Hal. What's he doing in my front yard? What's going on?" He said, uh, "I said, he said, you all right?" And you said, "You know, God told me to drive by here, check on you." And I was like, Phew. "And I can't tell you what that meant to me, because uh, you know how close I was to my folks, and I miss them every day. I mean, I still." think about them and I choke up sometimes about just, just the crazy sacrifices they made and, you know, as a kid, you know, I mean, you got a big family, we didn't have a big family, mom and dad were career educators, so it wasn't like, you know, um, You know, just the the little things, meals and things like that, and just you know, I mean, your mom up three meals a day, probably. Absolutely,
1: I was I was looking at the beatings to biscuits ratio, and I thought my mother gave me a lot of beatings, (laughs) but then I counted the biscuits up, and there were more biscuits than. No, much more, much more. But but your parents, you got to know this, man. Um, When I came to Knoxville, not everybody was was happy. By I
0: do know, well, you, know how to dress better than this. No, but you know, I do want to okay. say this for my folks, <laughs> and my folks listening and watching. I got people all over the country, actually all over the world that actually watch this thing now. But I remembered on the radio one time and my dad and I were listening and we kind of got tickled because there's it an old redneck calling in and he was, it was something racially and it was on the radio, of course, and obviously they didn't know you were a black fella. And, um, and, then, and he said, and how, let me tell you something, it, with these black folks, you know how they are. And I remember you said, and you kind of laughed and said, yeah, yeah, I do know how they
1: I, are. I, I might know a little yeah, bit about Yeah, and this. I thought, holy cow, and dad was like, <laughs> welcome to East Tennessee. Well, well, I went through a lot, which I, I won't talk about today, but your mother and your father went out of their way to let me know that they supported and appreciated me. I mean, went out of their way. Yeah. Your father used to call the radio show. <laughs> no, my mama, like, maybe your daddy's
0: calling in. You know, it was anything, you know, you know my dad was a very conservative guy, yeah, you know, and I'd say, Daddy, you're, you're not helping you're, me You're,
1: you're dead. Your dad used to call the radio show, but when I would be out in public, your parents would make a beeline to come and verbally express to me how much they supported and appreciated me. And in those early days, man, you have no idea what that yeah. meant to me. I, I grew up in a right. kind of surreal thing. And I, one last story that reminded me: I had a
0: teacher in third grade. Her name was Miss Ross. She was a black lady, and honestly, went to West Hills Elementary School. And maybe if there was one black kid, I don't know. And there was a black custodian, um, and Miss Ross was black. And I, she wrote me a note after my mama died, and she said, "Timmy, you know, call me Timmy." I still, I would go to the Martin Luther King Day parade, and it'd be joe armstrong always say it's the coldest day of the year and it surely it was it was 15 degrees the wind was blowing and i look over there and it was miss ross and they were holding her up and she was in her 90s and she said timmy do you know i said miss ross i i know i see you i know your eyes i i, I would and so but she wrote me a letter after mama died and she said basically it said there i was you know a, a black teacher in all white school and your mama sent me a plate of biscuits and said that was your you're going to be you are going to be great and fine. And I, and I, I thought, and, and, and Mama never told me she did that. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, that, that's pretty cool. That was pretty cool. And that was 1973.
1: So, I mean, it's different. You know, we don't even think about that stuff now. but, but Your, your it's, parents it's had an deal. innate sense of fairness. Like, we can, we can talk left, right, red, blue. But at our core, we all are created by God. And if God is our father, you're my brother. That's purpose. that's what that is the image of we're made in the image of God. That is and, this, this and, and, and unless and until we acknowledge, realize and lean into that, you know, I don't know that we'll mature into the the whole country that we could be. People Read talk about people talk about race relations. I've been talking about grace relations because if we can put the G God in front of the race thing, it changes everything. It does change everything. Well, as usual,
0: how this is why Hal's a great uh, radio talk show. I did too much talking, and he did the <laughs> listening. He opens me up too much. I, it's like a, it's like a, I guess I owe you like three hundred dollars an hour for this thing. I owe you one hundred fifty bucks. But anyway, no, I, I, we better roll here. We're going to run out of time. But howler it's been a pleasure, and I thank you for being my friend. And thank I'm, you for your service too. And if you, uh, psh, uh, no, it's nothing like what you do for the community, and I and I cannot tell you what your friendship has meant to me. And I always. I always remember that time we went to that gun show together, and we had, oh, gosh, that was, was, you talk about the head start, and I remember, and I said, and I told Teddy Davis this, he's a dear friend of mine, you know, the Davises, but anyway, um, I told, uh, and I told him this story a couple weeks ago, I walked in that gun show with Hal, and I thought, it. he's the only black guy in this whole place, except for one black guy who was, was over in the corner, who was working there, I knew that worked there, and he said, and I said, Hal, what's it like, me and Neil, I said, "Gosh, hey, I'm sorry." I said, "What's it like?" I said, "Dude, this is my world."
1: This is Tuesday. This is Tuesday. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> but anyway, folks, been another incredible episode of Tennessee Talks. It's, it's. I, I have a lot of folks on here, and they're, you yeah, know, they're my friends. But Halloran is, is more than a friend. He's, he's been like a brother too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tennessee Talks. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Keep up with Congressman Burchett by following Rep. Tim Burchett on Twitter and Instagram and Congressman Tim Burchett on Facebook and YouTube.